This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Knock, knock, hi. Knock, knock, hi. Hello, welcome to Knock Knock High with the Glockenfleckens. I am Will Flannery, also known as Dr. Glockenflecken. I am Kristen Flannery, also known as Lady Glockenflecken. Thank you for being here today. We're always happy to have you. <laughs> That's great. Welcoming you into our lives, into our studio, uh, which is just a spare room in our house. Yep. It's, we need a better studio. I know. I mean, it works. It's fine. It does. But uh, it's uh, supposed to be a guest room, is what this is supposed to be. That's true. And also have to record all my videos in here. And it's yeah. it's a little crowded at times. It's true. That's okay. It's working. Yeah. It's working out. You guys aren't having any problems with it. Uh, I guess we're the only ones that do. <laughs> so we are excited for you to be here today uh, listening. We are interviewing Dr. Wes Ely. Yes, he's someone whose work I really admire. I've been following on social media for a while now. He's got some really great stories about um, working in the ICU and what's what that's like and, and just humanity in general. He is a critical care pulmonologist uh, and a professor of medicine at Vanderbilt and also a, a, just a fantastic author. Uh, so we talk about his book, Every Deep Drawn Breath, uh, a little bit. And uh, yeah, just uh, which is a, it's a kind of a storytelling adventure. Yes. In ICU medicine. So we talk a lot about critical care and, and patient care. And uh, it's just really a wonderful conversation. He's he's he grew up in the South. He did. As did we. Very close to where we grew up. Yes. Closer to where you grew up, but more similar, I think, to where I grew yeah, up. Yeah, he grew up in uh, uh, in Louisiana. Louisiana. Louisiana, as he would say. Mm-hmm. And um, and we were next door in Texas. You were in Central Texas. Very small town. Small town. Very we about before? rural. Dublin? Oh, oh, yes. You think I, talking I about? think you bring it up quite a lot. I don't know what your fascination with it is, but... I asked Kristen the other day... Uh, if she would ever want to go visit her old high school. Right, because we went and toured your. Yeah, I went back. You got like a VIP tour. <laughs> I did. It was the Only... most bizarre thing to me. Because <laughs> who wants to go back to that, high school? You make school? it sound very sad. <laughs> this, is, this is what being yeah. a, a, a comedian internet ophthalmologist gets you. You get private tours of your old high school where you used to spend every day like yes there was a purpose we were there for a purpose but, but you yeah, have kinda... no desire to go visit your old high school no my high school was one hallway one long hallway with doors on either side into the classrooms and then connected to that was a cafetorium oh which is a cafeteria and the auditorium yeah so it's big is cafeteria with a stage in it mm. And then, uh, and that's where we would have like, you know, anything that required a stage. And uh, then connected to that was a gigantic gym and athletic facilities because it is Central Texas. So it was very yeah. Friday Night Lights. Yeah. You know. 
And uh, later on in this episode, we're going to play a game uh, that involves like TVs and movies and stuff. Um, and it reminded uh, Kristen of a story that I actually forgot. She, I, I don't know what she's about to say. Well, it's not so much a story as an explanation. Like I was very nervous about this game because it required some knowledge about uh, TV and movies, you know, over yep. time. And I, I don't know. I, I have never been much of a TV watcher to begin with because growing up, you know, my parents kind of controlled the TV and it was back when you had one family TV with three channels. Uh, yeah. Well, maybe five or six, but yeah, we didn't have cable. I mean, yeah. people had cable, but we didn't have cable. Um, so it just wasn't anything. I, and then now you control the TV all the time. I don't Between watch that you and much the, TV. And the kids, you know, yeah. I've just kind of given, it just doesn't even occur to me to turn on the TV because somebody else is usually in control of it. So anyway, all that to say, I'm not a big TV watcher to begin with, but then also, when I was growing up, probably from about junior high on, I don't know, I might have my timeline a little bit off, but about that. Um, so we lived out in the country, right? And one time, it is rural Texas, so or central Texas, so uh, storms, big storms would come through, big thunderstorms, windstorms. And so one of these days, we had one of those storms. And it again, I, we didn't have cable, we didn't have a satellite dish, all we had was an antenna. And the storm blew the antenna off the roof. And my parents, in a decision that was baffling to me at the time, but makes complete sense now as a busy working parent, they decided, we're just not going to mess. It's too much to deal with. Just, we just don't have TV now. <laughs> was, Sorry. That was it. <laughs> that was it. Like, you really? know, it's a whole ordeal to get somebody to come all the way out there. We're talking, we had to lay down the broadband lines. So that oh, our yeah. house could get internet. Like we had to hire people to come yeah, do yeah. that. We're yeah. out in the middle of nowhere. Right. And so they you just gave up it. on it. And I don't know, maybe they made a phone call or two. Who knows? But they did. They decided not to not no. to pursue fixing it. And so then from then on, we could only watch um, movies, you know, like oh, yeah. it, with the VCR yeah, yeah. and then later the DVD player. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, that was all that the TV was any good for. So, so I just, you know, have a big black hole you had to go in my TV and movie watching history. Yeah. yeah, I did. I spent a lot of time outside and doing things, gymnastics. And... Probably better for you in the long run. I guess. But that is fun. But I was very nervous about the game because I was like, I'm not going to know any of these. <laughs> you did a good <laughs> but job. But I did better it. than I thought. You'll have to, you guys may definitely stick around for that uh, toward the end of the episode. Yeah. Um, and so, with that, let's get to Dr. Wes Ely. Here he is. Today's episode is brought to you by the Nuance Dragon Ambient Experience, or DAX for short. This is AI-powered ambient technology that helps physicians be more efficient and to reduce the clinical documentation that leads to so much burnout in medicine these days. To learn more about how DAX can help reduce burnout and restore the joy of practicing medicine, stick around after the episode or visit nuance.com slash discover DAX. That's N-U-A-N-C-E dot com slash discover D-A-X. All right, we are here with Dr. Wes Ely. Wes, thank you for coming on. We're so excited to see you. Will and Kristen, it's great to be here. 
Uh, you're, um, uh, it looks like you're at work. Is that, are you in your office? Uh, I'm saying that because you are wearing a, a, a scrub shirt and you're surrounded by books. Yeah, yes. I'm in my office. I, I was in the ICU earlier this morning. I took care of veterans at our VA hospital and I made sure I was here on time to be with you. <laughs> well, your book stacks look about like mine. Uh, <laughs> yes. Very different from mine though. I've, you know, I, I think it's I've been like, I don't know, six years since I've read a book. Not that long. I don't want everybody to sound like I don't know how to read. But um, <laughs> Wes, I, I, I'm telling you, I, I'm looking over your history here. All right, let me just, I'm going to go through a couple things here. All right, so Master of Public Health degree at Tulane, uh, med school at Tulane, internal mes- medicine residency, pulmonary and critical care fellowship, geriatric neuropsychology fellowship, lung transplantation fellowship oh my are, are you done training or are you are you still going? still going like how many years are you in at this point my I, goodness i think i'm just getting started but all that really matters is that my <laughs> patients are the ones teaching me all the time i'm just on my knees <laughs> begging to learn from them that's it will that's right I you swear, forgot to add author uh, to that uh, list oh, i mean yeah i mean it goes on and on but i i just wanted to you know I feel like every time I talk to somebody like in medicine, I learn about a different fellowship that exists that I didn't know existed. So yeah, you know, if, I do, if, if I do any more, will it'll be <laughs> it'll be what I call divorceogenic, meaning my wife is going to divorce me rapidly. Uh-huh. <laughs> I know that feeling. Yep. <laughs> um, well, what I guess where I want to start is just. How are people doing in the ICU these days? How are how how's the how are the staff? How's the what's the uh, the 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 burnout level that we're talking about these days? I asked Brad this morning. This actually happened this morning. Brad is one of our senior nurses. I said, Brad, how long have you been in our ICU? He said, he said three and a half years. And I said, oh my gosh, you came in right at COVID then. Uh, yeah. yeah. He said yes. He goes, you know, Wes, and I was up there with them in the COVID ICU. He said we had remember. Five patients died one day, and uh, it was it was a whole different world. You know, last week I said to somebody during COVID, as, as if it was over. Of course, the pandemic's not over. We're in fact we're having a surge right. of a new of a new uh, variant right now. But but what we experienced in the unit that is not happening. It, you know, it, it is not mm-hmm. like our whole unit is full up with COVID people on ventilators and ECMO. But there's still a there's still a sadness. You know, and people mm-hmm. are still in recovery. From this and and the grief and I I know you have both experienced an immense amount of grief and hardship in your lives and I'm sure we might get to some of this later but uh, that grief never really goes away we just learn how right. to work our way toward acceptance and then mm-hmm. my hope is that we can find meaning in it in some way so I can at least like in my book on my bookshelf you mentioned books it's like there's a book there from what we went through of the grief of it all. And that book is always going to be there with me. It's just that other books will come and accompany it. Does that make any mm-hmm. sense? Right. Yeah, completely. Definitely. Well, I, w- I want to, um, I, 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 we asked you to bring some stories. Okay. Me. Yeah. Uh, because what I want to do is give people an idea of what it's like in, uh, uh, in, in an ICU. Uh, because I feel like that's an area of medicine that's, you know, Hopefully, people don't have uh, a lot of firsthand knowledge with with being in an ICU. But I think it's also an important uh, to put into perspective what life is like for people working in the ICU. What type of patients that you're? What are people coming in with? What are the some of the the struggles, the challenges that you're facing 
you and the rest of the staff there are facing on a day-to-day basis. Yeah. And so so we asked we asked you to bring some stories and I love what you did. You didn't you didn't tell us what the stories are. You just gave us some prompts. Teasers. And they're they're te- yeah, it's like, oh man, I I really got to know about the blue guy or the leopard skin <laughs> bra. It's like it's perfect uh teaser <laughs> material here. And so um and but before we we get into your your um your stories uh, I just want everyone to know you did get permission to talk about these things from the patients themselves and, and everything. And so um, uh, I'm sure they're going to be very informative and, and interesting. You know, when I when I write down people's stories, I record them, you know, much like you do. I, I use devices. I transcribe their stories. So when I use direct quotes and when I, in my writing, it's it's not me making it up from memory. I have it all actually what they said, and oh, wow. and I have all their permissions oh, signed. Per, you know, I don't want to break anybody's uh, privacy, but these are people who want me to share their stories, mm-hmm. and, because they they find meaning in that. You know, so this right. blue guy you brought up, for example, uh, on the way to the ICU, people have problems that might land them in the ICU. So one day, I was in clinic. I had just done my transplant training, and come back to the hospital where they were getting me to start this new lung transplant program. And in the clinic walks in this guy whose name was Marcus Cobb, a real person. His picture's on our website. His story is in every deep drawn breath. And anyway, Marcus walks in with Danita, his wife. And and right off the bat, I could see, I mean, he, he looked like a Smurf. He was that blue, like just a dark, dense, intense blue. And when we see that, we know that oxygen levels are very low. So I figured his oxygen levels have got to be instead of in the 95% range, probably in the 60s. Mm-hmm. And when a guy comes to me for a, a, a transplant and he's, his skin is blue, usually he has a hole in his heart. I start talking, taking his history. He's, he's very challenging to me. He's, he says, doctor, you know, all these other doctors have said I was going to die. Why do you think I need a new heart and lung now? And how do you know? And as I'm processing that this man who's 30 years old, has been told he was going to be dead when he was five and he's still going. And his kid, Ariel, is playing at his feet. And I'm thinking, God, there's a lot at stake here. And yeah. I started thinking about what if I make the big mistakes and I start getting nervous. Now, you both are so young. You didn't ever see the movie Broadcast News, probably. But there's this famous movie called Broadcast News. And this guy is delivering the news. And if you, if you, if anybody, wants to Google this, you can just Google sweating scene in broadcast news. <laughs> this guy starts sweating. Well, as I'm looking at Marcus and Danita, I began to be self-conscious and doubting myself. And I'd had all this training, but I started sweating a little bit. And then the more I thought about, oh my gosh, do I really know what I'm doing? I'd sweat, I'd sweat more. And that, what if I pick wrong for the time when he needs these organs and I'm starting to sweat more? And before long, Will and Kristen, I was soaking wet. Oh, no. It was no, insane. No. I mean, I'm sitting in this room and I am pouring sweat. I had on a light blue Oxford shirt. It was turning dark blue. And I'm thinking, oh my God, how do I get out of this situation? Oh I'm in this gosh. clinic with this with this sweating phenomenon. I can't stop it. And I started trying to take deep breaths and slow my cadence. And it was just getting worse and worse. And finally, I said, I've got to get out of here. So I went into the bathroom. I said, excuse me. I went in the bathroom. I looked at myself. I'd used all the paper towels I could to sop up all the sweat. I looked at my shirt and it was pouring in with water. And I thought, oh my God, what am I going to do? And the, and, and the lesson is when we make as a servant, because I'm really a servant of him and his wife, but I made it about me. I made myself the center mm-hmm. of that story. And if I had just kept my attention on him and what am I going to do for him and how will I improve and help reduce his suffering, that I've never had it happen since. 
But the lesson Marcus taught me was was to not be so D-A-M-N, conceited and self-centered and put myself mm-hmm. at the center of the story. So I went back in the room. I told him, look, I was just sheepish, put my head down. Look, here, you know, go get some more fluid pills. I'm not sure what'll happen with you. And, but, you know, come back and see me in a few months. And my wife and I, uh, she got a job at Vanderbilt. And so we moved from North Carolina to Nashville, Tennessee. We've been here at Vanderbilt for now for 25 years. And a few years later, I walked in the clinic here where I was running the lung transplant program as a medical director and Danita and Marcus were sitting in the room waiting for me. Really? And oh, I said, wow. what in the world? Why are y'all here? They said, when you started sweating like that, I didn't bring it up. They, they did. They said, when you started sweating that much, we knew that you knew you didn't know. And uh, we, we want a doctor who knows he doesn't know. So uh, he got his yeah. transplant. He jumped out of airplanes. He went parachuting. He, he led an amazing life. A few years later, I was uh, delivering a lecture at, at San Diego and Danita called me and said, Wes, Marcus is dying and he wants you. And I flew back. I left immediately, flew back across the country, got there in time and was with him. And uh, I'll never forget the blue guy and the lessons <laughs> yeah. he taught me. Oh, Man, that's beautiful. I can relate to that uh, so much. Just the mindset of being a brand new, you know, an early career physician, maybe right out of training. And you just, you feel like you have to have all the answers, right? Like you're, you do. you're, you're, you're an attending now. Like it's, it's all on you. Uh, and, and I would, I would be like in the clinic, uh, you know, sitting there with a patient and like not know what's going on and it'd be like, I, I really need to like look something up and I'm afraid of, of conveying that to the patient. Um, and then I eventually, you know, learned after it was like beaten into me time and time again, like. It's okay. Like, look it up right there with the patient. Yeah. They love it. They, exactly. They, they're like, oh, you you care about finding the right answer, and 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 that's that's the takeaway that the patient will have. And, yeah. And so, you know, it's um because we're not going to have all the right answers, right? Like, I still don't know what the right answer is sometimes. But um, I know you're you... asking the questions, but Kristen, I'm dying to know from your experience, would you have been mad or frustrated if the doctor had said they didn't know and we're going to have to go get more information? How would you have no. responded? I would love it because same as what they said, you know, you don't, I know that a doctor is just a human, right? And, and all of this like culture around med school and everything that makes you feel like you have to know everything and just be a walking encyclopedia. I don't know, maybe that served doctors well at one point in time, but it's certainly not serving you well now in the age of Google, right? So I think that by you doing that, it shows that you're not going to be doing anything, you know, you're not going to be like overstepping your ability in any way. So that makes me trust more that I'm in good hands. And if you're looking the information up right there with the patient or you're explaining your process of looking it up to the patient, like you're modeling good behavior in the age of Google, right? You're modeling how to find good information. And moreover, I'm not coming to you for your what you've memorized. I'm coming to you for how what you've memorized allows mm. you to think about my case and this information. And it's more the critical thinking and the expertise, you know, that I'm that I'm there for. I don't I don't really care what you can memorize. I love yeah, that. Yeah, so Thank I you. would I would like yeah. it. And I know sure. I know that like if, if Wes walked into the room, I know like, well if he didn't know the answer, he has every book imaginable in his office. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yes. So you could, you could go figure it out. Uh, <laughs> 
<laughs> he can figure it out. And I'm a person that likes to know why, even as a patient, especially as, as a patient. You know, it's my body. I want to know why things are happening. I want to know everything I can know about what's going wrong or, or different or whatever. So, you know, by you walking through that with me, you know, I think sometimes and people are all sorts of ways. Some people don't want this, but a lot of people I think do want to know more about their bodies and they want to learn what's going on. And so by you walking through it, instead of just telling me, here's what you got to do, you know, then I'm, I'm learning how to take care of myself better as well. And you guys, there's so many people, millions of people who follow you and I, and, and they, they adore you and you're teaching them. A lot of them are young. And I would just say that one of the things that I teach our students and I, I, I'm not Buddhist, but this is a Buddhist thing. It's called Tao Te Ching 65. It's uh, that the ancient masters used to teach their students to not know, because if the students think they know, they can't mm -hmm. be taught. But when you know you don't know, then you have room in your cup sort of thing. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I'm all for that. I, I think that it is nothing good comes when you get arrogant about things. So. All right. I'm dying to know about the leopard skin bra. <laughs> Guys, okay. Please so, enlighten me. All right. So, so this guy's this is a, a true story. Of course, all these stories are true. Uh, this guy's name was Danny West, and Danny came to me for he had already had a transplant, so one of his lungs was normal and one of them was trashed, and it would sound like H E double hockey sticks if you were to listen to it. And uh, a few years earlier, I was teaching the med students in physical diagnosis about the lung sounds, and I would always get a volunteer. Well, on this particular day, before I knew Danny, I asked for a volunteer, and usually it would be some testosterone-laden guy who would want to show off his muscles, and I would tell them, you're going to have to take your shirt off and come down in front of the class, and I'm going to examine you. And on this day, this uh, very buxom woman decided to take off her shirt and come down in front of the class, and before I could do anything, she was standing right in front of me in a leopard skin bra. And uh, I was like, oh, my God, you know, this is making me a bit nervous. And uh, I dealt with it. And you it. started pouring buckets of sweat. <laughs> yes, exactly. And I, Common I, theme here. I was trying to do, you know, when I got through it, I fumbled through it. And I said to myself, well, I'm never asking for volunteers again. So, <laughs> so the you next thing, know. but then there was Danny West. So I said, Danny, uh, would you be the person? Can you come in there and come down to the room? And it'll be great because I can listen to one side. And, the, and they all have these stethoscopes in their ears where they can hear what I'm hearing. And so we got him, we brought him down and the students are sitting there and I told them that story. And I reached around to get my stethoscope. And as I turned around, the whole room burst out in, in laughter. And I turned around and Danny was sitting there with a leopard skin bra on. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so I examined him in front of the room with that leopard skin bra on. They took our pictures and then some resident swapped our heads oh, and no. sent the picture all over the medical center. So the next week I got called into the principal's office, which oh, is the no. Department of Medicine chairman. Like, Ely, why is there a picture of you with a leopard skin bra on going all over? <laughs> and uh, the thing about this story and what Danny taught me, if you build on Marcus Cobb's story to Danny, is that I learned how to be vulnerable because what Danny started doing, every time he wrote to me, he said, uh, love your favorite patient, Danny. And at first it made me a bit uncomfortable. Like, can I have a favorite patient? Is that, is that allowable? Mm -hmm. uh, of course I, I love all my patients, but he always wrote that. And over time I, I, I let him in and I let my, my guard down and we created this relationship that was just so great. And I've now learned to do that with many, many of my patients. And 
Uh, I'm, I'm learning about vulnerability, Kristen, because guys think that they're all on top of everything, but right. I'm, I'm not, you know? So Danny and the leopard skin bra story kind of helped me get, a, get over myself. Yeah. <laughs> well, how do you... That sounds like something you would do, by the way. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> I, I think that's, that's an interesting topic of, of learning to be more vulnerable because, I mean, a lot of people in medicine put up walls and... Uh, I think that might be in part because of, of how grave some of these situations are that you're dealing with. And so do you, how does that affect you emotionally and, and, and your ability to, you know, go from, you know, patient to patient and, and when you're letting people in and, and showing that vulnerability, that seems like a hard thing to, to try to, cause you want to also need to protect yourself and to be able to, you know, have that emotional you know, reservoir to be able to continue working and doing the things you're doing. Absolutely. And you asked at the very beginning to kind of give a picture of what it's like in the ICU. Uh, when I was, uh, I grew up in, in Louisiana. We say Louisiana. We don't Lu- pronounce. Yep. I was going to say the way you're spelling your four letter words tells me that you're from the South. Yeah. I, yep. I, I grew up in Louisiana and my mom, when I was a second year med student, gave me this book of Osler's famous speech. It's called Equanimitas. I know you know of this. Equanimity, like even keeledness. And I read that book and I, you know, uh, my dad left us, we were little. So my mom raised us in a little bitty house. I was a farmer growing up. Uh, We had like 6,000 tomato plants and everything to scale and we had no money, but um, I kind of learned to overdo everything. If I worked hard enough, if I, if I swam far enough, if I studied long enough, I, I could get by. Well, I took that equanimitas idea and I grossly over applied it. And, and Will, this gets at what your question is. So I was like, I will not make myself vulnerable. I will, I will make a wall and I will not allow myself to be sucked in to this situation. And that way I'll protect myself. What I've learned, and you can see how much gray hair I've got now. I'm, I'm 59. I'm, I'm old now. I've been doing this 30 years. Um, I've learned that that was not doing anybody any favors. Not only was it removing the patient from having a healer because I wasn't truly diving into their chaos, I was not helping myself because there's a real burnout that can occur when I don't really get the sweetness. And the sweetness for me comes from learning who they are. Like I like to now I ask everybody four questions. What are your favorite hobbies? What's your favorite music, your favorite food? And what are your pets names? And that's just my way of getting started. And then usually we end up laughing. If, if I can find out about music, food, hobbies and pets names, something in there is going to make us laugh. And, um, and I think Kristen, you said, uh, laughter is like fertilizer, you know, and Mm -hmm. I love that, you know, does that make sense? Yeah. Yes, completely. And you know, so I'm going to get on a soapbox here if you'll allow it, but so I have a psychology background and specifically, you can do whatever you want. (laughs) You absolutely can. (laughs) That's true. I allow it. (laughs) No. Um, so I was in social psychology and my, you know, particular area of specialty, if you will, was emotions. And so I think I don't I hate it's one of my pet peeves when people deal with difficult situations by compartmentalizing because like in you know there are cases there are times when that might be a good strategy to use like in acute trauma for you know a temporary time um but it's not the way to live life right it's not the way to have a career that 
deals in difficult situations. And wouldn't it be so much better if we taught everyone emotion regulation skills so that you don't have to make those walls, you don't have to make those little boxes and just cram things in there and then, you know, have the top fly off at unpredictable times. What if you could just go through your career feeling your feelings, but knowing how to deal with them and understanding them better and, you know, knowing that they're just signals that are telling you something about what's going on in your life and how how you want to deal with it or not deal with it. You know, I mean, they're all they're useful information and we teach doctors to just lock them away. We do. You know, I was with the med students recently and they said to me, Dr. Dr. West, how do you deal with grief? And they said, I said, well, what have you been taught? Because I want to know what are they learning? And he said, oh, a neurosurgeon came in and taught us that he deals with grief by, and he said, I have a little box. I put it in there. I turn the key and I put the box in a field and I throw the key away. I'm like, what? Why yeah. would you Why oh, would no. you teach a med student that? This is horrible. Instead, oh, yeah. my guru wife, like Will, you and I both have guru wives. Uh, yeah. My guru wife has been saying to me for years, Wes, you've got to deal with this. The pain has got to come out somewhere. Yes, and it will. You cannot stop it from, no one can. So you can you can learn how to deal with it in the moment and have skills around dealing with it in productive ways, or you can just wait for the volcano to erupt and make a giant mess of your life. So I don't know. It doesn't make any sense yeah, to me. I'll be, I'll be vulnerable with you right now, and I haven't said this publicly, but I I, um, I go to Al-Anon. So Al-Anon is for people who have addiction addict, addiction in their life, uh, like in my sister or my, I'm not saying mm-hmm. specifically who they are, but siblings right. or parents. Right, someone or close to you, yeah. Right, so I, I didn't do that for so long, Will and Kristen, that I kept just putting all this and pretending everything was okay. Uh, and I have some very serious qualifications to go to Al-Anon, let's put it that way. Um, and I've just now in the past four years started processing all this and learning how, and I am so much happier now that I go, I live by the 12 steps and I have a sponsor and I go to these meetings and all we do, we never give anybody advice. We just share our experience, strength, and hope with one another and learn from other people's experience, strength, and hope. It's yeah. pretty amazing. And there is so much power in that, in people's stories. You know, it's, it's another reason that we like to share stories on this podcast and that we encourage people to tell their stories and we tell our story because that's I think one of the best ways for human beings to learn from each other. Thank you for doing Absolutely. that. By the way. I've listened to plenty of times where you shared your story and it's, it's helped me a lot. And, 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 and do you mind if I just share yeah. one thing that I observed? Oh, sure. Please. I, I, I don't know what you went through. I can't possibly understand it, but something happened in me when I was listening to the 911 call mm-hmm. and um, it, I'm not sure if it's okay to bring this up or anything, yeah. but, uh, but when I, heard the noises of what you were doing. And by the way, it was amazing to me how you listened to that woman teach you how to do what you needed to do with the CPR. And then when you were doing it and Will, I could hear your exhalations. Mm -hmm. And I thought to myself, how connected the beauty of marriage and how connected the two of you were and how nothing could come between you. And that this, this was an auditory example of something that I can't really put into words, but you saved his life and you've probably been saving each other's lives all throughout your marriage in more ways than that. And for me, I just want you to know that I'm carrying that with me. And when I see my wife, even I think about the audio that I heard there mm-hmm. and I, I'm going to try and use it to be a better husband. Oh, oh, that's so nice. Thank you for sharing that. 
and I, I do think it's 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 uh, it's uh, not completely one sided, but um, <laughs> but I'd say a she, little tips. She's probably saved my life a little bit more, I would say, than the other way around. But that's okay. I, we'll take <laughs> so, it, right? We'll take it. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Um, so I want to uh, move on to some some of these other uh, prompts here that you've given us. So um, the next one on the list is Shonda. Yeah, Shonda was an amazing uh, person. I, I met this young woman and uh, she had a bad disease. Uh, it's a disease where your, your bone marrow starts fighting itself. Um, it's, called, it's called HLH for the listener, if they want to look it up. Hemagophagocytic lymphohistiocytosis. Don't say Bless that. Bless you. you don't, exactly. Don't say that after a couple of beers. Um, <laughs> but she said, Dr. Ely, I've got a big personality and everybody knows it. And I, I couldn't believe she said it because when I was in college at Tulane, the priest told me that he believed in people with big personalities, like, like personalities you could feel like in the next room. You know, I, I'm talking with two people who have big personalities. But she, she told me about this. And, I, and, and I, I, having learned from Marcus and Danny, I was now in a place where I could let those barriers down, dive into her chaos and be present for her as her disease kind of swirled into things. And I, um, we started taking her outside to see her nieces and nephews. And I watched as her family interacted um, so much with one another. And I, I was actually just going to read to you the closing of her story. Is it okay if I do that? Yeah. Uh, this is just the end of her story. But moment by moment, I tried to approach the sorrow of her dying with an appreciation for spending time with her. In the past, I would have retreated, but this time I plunged in. Her bravery gave me the courage to be vulnerable to shed my doctor's skin and be wholly human. As her death grew closer, her loved ones sat beside her, still telling stories, threading their lives to hers. There was love and hope. Their sadness bravely held at bay for her. Two hours after she'd taken her last breath, I was walking by Shonda's room on my way through the busy ICU where so many lives still hung in the balance. I felt drawn inside and padding across the floor, I was struck by the silence. The machines were quiet. I peered behind the dividing curtain, expecting the room to be empty. Instead, her figure still lay there on the bed beneath a sheet. I placed a hand on her arm and looked out the large window into the waning light. We had not been doctor and patient, but two people, two humans, small in the big picture. Tears of grief ran down my face and gratitude too for the way she taught me to hold on to the now. I thanked Shonda for the privilege of accompanying her through illness into the beautiful forever. And I, cho I chose that story to, to share with you because there is not only sadness in losing a patient in the ICU. And Will, you asked me at the beginning, what's it like to be up there? And I've learned that about half of my job is helping people find their way into survival. And the other half of my way of my job is to, is to help them find their way into their dying. And there's such a beauty not that I want anybody to ever die, of course, but mm -hmm. when somebody like Shonda can share her experience with me and when I can dive into her life and be present with her, um, I have been able to find meaning there a, a, alongside the grief. And I don't really know what that looks like, and I'm sure it's different for anyone, but uh, it's like when you go through Kubler-Ross's stages and you grant to acceptance. I think for me, I can get to acceptance personally, but I want to go a little bit further than that and, and for my own self, it's, it will keep me coming back to the Shondas and the Marcuses 
just mm-hmm. because I know it's an unearned privilege to be with them during that time. I don't know if that makes any sense. Yes. And, you know, it speaks to kind of the fertilizer analogy that you were referencing earlier, which is, you know, when bad things happen, you can either just let it be a bad thing that happened, right? And it's just this big stinking pile of crap. Or, you know, you can plant a seed in there and give it a little water and a little light and a little time and something really beautiful grows out of it. But, you know, beautiful things in order to grow do require some fertilizer and fertilizer is just poop (laughs) you know (laughs) a lot of time so you know it's it's i don't know i don't like these dichotomy dichotomies and binary thinking of just good and bad and you know it's all messy and complicated and it's all both all mixed in together and you can find the good and the bad in just about every situation and you don't need to be scared away from certain situations just because you know, they're heavy or something. I mean, there there are good things to be gained in them as well. Let, I feel let's like stay, I'm just like on all my soapboxes no, today. Let's stay on poop, Will. Can we stay on poop <laughs> yeah. for a second? Please do. Okay, okay. So we'll, we'll have a comeback for this one. But you know, t- I, I watched Ted Lasso. Is it okay to mention another show? Sure. Uh, yeah. Yes, that's fine. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so, uh, We're Ted, not in direct competition with Ted Lasso. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't fine. think so. Okay, Ted Lasso, there's this character named Jamie. I think he's up for an Emmy or whatever it is they give him. Yeah. Um, he said at one point there was this terrible thing going on with his dad and with the team and all this stuff. And, you know, you said that fertilizer is just poop, but you're right. It's just all this crap, but we can use it. And anyway, Jamie says, it's poopy, let it flow. They're down in the sewers. He says, it's poopy, it's poopy, let it flow. And so whenever my wife calls me now, she says, hey, poopy, how are you? <laughs> <laughs> and I just kind of realized, let's just laugh about the poopy. Yeah. Yeah. What else can you do? Let I mean, it flow. Yeah. Hey, I'm I'm all about uh, laughing when you have nothing else that you know how to do. Um, that's why you know whenever I woke up in the ICU after my cardiac arrest, one of the first things I did after after talking with you was start tweeting, and 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 telling jokes about uh, you know this this uncontrollable situation I found myself in and and well, you were even making videos in the ICU I think uh, or may- maybe that was the that was when I went back down, in for but... a um for my defibrillator surgery so Will seriously it was a did, wild time man it how did you find time. the wherewithal to do that seriously come on take us into your mind that's just hit like he can't not yeah I, I so I don't know <laughs> that's his little box that he puts things this in. is how I've always dealt with with trauma and things in my life with the cancer diagnosis I you know I I, I started I was just writing jokes writing material I was doing stand-ups I was going to like open mics and stuff and um and once at at that point when the cardiac arrest happened, you know, I, I was well entrenched in Twitter. I was hopelessly obsessed with, you know, my building this social media, you know, thing and, and basically you, using it's social beautiful. media. Yeah. Using social media as a surrogate for like going on stage and telling jokes in person. And so, um, uh, you know, I, I woke up and I, I don't really remember my thought process at the time, but uh, you know, it was probably just habit. You were just so yeah. It's like, oh man, wait till people hear about this kind of thing, and because uh, what a what a story, and um, uh, and it's you know anything uncomfortable in my life, my my uh, my go to is is to to find some humor in it and and tell a joke and share a laugh with people, and and um, I don't know. That's 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 why humor is a is a is a famous coping mechanism, right? Because it allows you to, to, to reassert control over 
uncontrollable situations. Yeah, and, to um, deal with hard truths in a exactly. softer way. No, honestly, I mean, all through the pandemic, there'd be times I'd be sitting right at this desk just feeling so down and low and I'd open up and I was never on any social media before COVID, but then I got on Twitter during COVID and, um, and your videos would lift me up and be like, oh my God, that's exactly what I needed. I just needed that exhalation, that, <laughs> that laughter, whether, yeah. whether it was you doing a neurologist, an orthopedic surgeon or whatever. Oh, and the, some of my favorite ones are the pathologists because I send those to my wife, Kim, who's a pathologist and <laughs> she gets such a kick out of that. So thank you. But, thank you. Uh, How did you feel about the critical care ophthalmologist? Did you think oh, that yeah. oh, were yeah, you worried that was... you'd have to have one of those? <laughs> I, I need one of those in my back pocket there. That will, that was beautiful. <laughs> Well, it's I like you. Know, I, what I joke about is like you know I'm I'm somewhat um uh, I, I'm somewhat of of limited use during a respiratory pandemic as an ophthalmologist, and so any way I can help, uh, I'm happy to. If that's just by you know making a silly video that's like 90 seconds long for people to watch, then happy to do it. Well, let me give you another story because I think it fits in with your uh, with your latest gig, which I think my my view of your latest gig is this whole let's get these insurance companies to quit jacking everybody around yes. every five seconds. Uh, so that's a, that falls into social justice. Um, you know, Kristen, you said that you were let in as an end of life case, uh, mm -hmm. Lieutenant Greg or whatever let you in. When, when we were locked down and there was nobody allowed in, I had a young woman come into the ICU and she had meningitis. She, was, she had lupus, cerebritis, but she had a fungus in her head and they weren't letting her family in. And she didn't even have COVID. And I thought to myself, this is incredibly wrong. I'm letting her family in. So the, the, I, the hospital's like, no, no, you can't, you can't. And I was like, well, they're coming in. So I went downstairs, got the wife and the, the, the mother and the, the husband and brought them in. And when we took off our stuff, once inside the room and she took off her stuff because she was going to stay, I knew the lady. She mm. was the checkout lady at our Kroger. And oh, wow. we knew each other personally. I said, this is, I'm wow. Dr. Wes. And it was, I mean, I would have never known that that was her daughter. So she yeah. was the first family to come in. Then we started, of course, opening up visitation and allowing people in. But on one day, another non-COVID patient was let in. And when I walked in this room, he had this huge red shackle on his leg. And I do not take credit for this. This is not my genius. But the med students said, why does he have a red shackle? And we've got to get it off. And so the, the, the young people are so beautifully social justice oriented now, you know, mm -hmm. and they are teaching me. And I'm I'm well I'm ready to learn from them because how many years have I just allowed the rules to last and stay? Right. right. So anyway, the way the story ends and the point of it is that we got those shackles off of him, and he lifted his knees up in the bed, and he looked at me and nodded, gave me that that nod of, "You see me, and I see mm -hmm. you." And do you know we thought that he was dying actively. We thought he was actively dying. He is still alive. His, I got his, we got his daughter in there. We got his sister in there. They told jokes. They laughed. He went from a dying man to, and he was a prisoner and he still is in jail, but he's alive and he's found right. purpose again. He's found his why again. And I just realized social justice has got to be a part of my life. And we've actually created a, a website called Scopes and Shields, where we're going to teach doctors how to, how, what their rights are to fight for people who have imprisoned situation, that sort of thing. So I think all of us, what you're doing with insurance, what I'm doing in the ICU, if we can all just try and do our part, what yeah. are you thinking? I, I agree. I, yeah. I, you know, just, you know, for a long time I struggled whenever I was making a lot of these health insurance videos or U S healthcare system videos, 
was like, okay, I'm I'm just showing I'm showing all the problems, but what am I actually doing, you know, to to help make it better? Like uh, you're just stirring the pot by yeah, pointing out what's I, wrong, am but I, not, not solving anything. I'm not you know, producing any solutions. And and what I realized is like I don't necessarily have to have a solution to the problem by by just making it people aware of what's happening. Because we take it for granted, especially with the US healthcare system, that like we those of us in the healthcare system working in it, we kind of just know some of these things because we see them every day. But there's a whole lot of people that have no idea about things like prior authorizations or automated claim denials and all these things. And so, um, and so t- for things like, you know, your patient and, uh, and social justice surrounding, you know, uh, 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 care of, of inmates and, and um, uh, health insurance issues, you know, I think just getting the word out, spreading awareness of those things is is powerful and and needed i mean i didn't i didn't know when i was a young non-gray-haired doctor that i could call the warden and say i'm the doctor and i'm prescribing you to remove and i don't mean that every inmate has to have no shackles i mean some of them actually pose a risk threat but this man did not so there was no reason so let's just do our part and keep waking ourselves up to the idea that we can do better for other people if we put them at the center of our service goal Exactly. Yeah, and what you said about he looked at you and and just it, you know, the implication is you see me and I see you, right? Like that is one of the another one of my little soapboxes that I get on all the time is to say that for some people, like the co-survivors of critical illness and medical trauma, sometimes that is what is healing about the situation is just to know that the people who are able to help can see you for what you are and what you need. And, and, you know, what you bring to the table and what you need from them. And I don't, I don't know if you even did this on purpose, but you said, you know, I see you. And he works in it. I see you. Yes. But, but. Oh, no, that's not what you're saying. Wouldn't that be. Yeah. Wonderful. If that is, you know, in the intensive care unit, it is this philosophy of I see you. Yes. I S S I S E E U. Yes. And uh, I, I believe in that. I teach that. Um, I actually say that we have to convert ourselves from a depersonalization chamber into yeah. a repersonalization chamber so that it becomes an I see you. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and we're working on this. You know, we, we have a program now. I'll tell you, during COVID, we developed all these long COVID support groups. People need a community, you know, mm-hmm. and the ICU survivors get something called PICS, post-intensive care syndrome, where they acquire a dementia and PTSD and depression and muscle and nerve disease. That's what they live with afterwards, which is a, their new normal. But the but a lot of the patients who get this rapidly acquired brain dysfunction now are long COVID patients who never got sick. They were mildly sick with COVID. And then three to six months later, they have this, this massive onset of cognitive impairment that looks a lot like a dementia. And so we have hired us. Uh, the money from from this book, Every Deep Drawn Breath, and through donors, we've hired social workers. We've got uh, free support groups that they come into from all over the country and the world. And what we're trying to do is create a community where we can say, I see you, and um, and it's all free. And we want to template this out so that I think that eventually, I think every major city should have a, a, a an academic center like a Vanderbilt or an Ohio State or a Harvard or a UCSF, whatever, and they should all have one of these survivorship centers for people with rapidly acquired brain and body dysfunction 
And then we can do a, you know, have little tentacles out to, to make people a, able to find their, their people. They can yeah. cry with, scream with. What do, what do you think? It seems Definitely. reasonable. Oh yeah. Yeah. I think Absolutely. there's a lot of power in, in community and knowing you're not alone and what you have, have been through. Let's take a, a quick break. All right. And we'll come back with Dr. Wes. Uh, hey, Kristen, what do you got there? Oh, this? Oh, well, you may not know this as an ophthalmologist, but uh, this is called a stethoscope. Yeah, I know what a stethoscope is. I also know it's supposed to go in your ears and not sitting on top of your headphones. No, I like it better this way. Besides, this is not just any stethoscope. Mm. This is the Echo Core 500 digital stethoscope uh, with three lead ECG. I've heard about these things. Yeah. 40 times noise amplification, That's right. noise cancellation, mm -hmm. three audio filter modes, you know it. and a full color display. Yeah, buddy. 60 hours of battery life, too. That's right. Everybody loves a good battery life, and it's durable. That's right. Awesome. We have a special offer for our audience here in the U.S. Learn more at echohealth.com slash KKH. That's ekohealth.com slash KKH and use code NOCK50 for a 75-day risk-free trial and a free case and free shipping to the continental U.S. to get your core 500 stethoscope. Hey, Kristen. Can I interest you in a Demodex mic? No, you may not. You know what these little guys do? What? They cause Demodex blepharitis, which makes your eyelids like red, irritated, itchy. That's gross. Well, you can get checked out. You know, your eye doctor can look and see if you have them. My eye doctor is currently covered in them. And I can find out for you. Oh, good. <laughs> to find out more about Demodex, go to eyelidcheck.com. Again, that's E-Y-E-L-I-D-Check.com to get more information about Demodex blepharitis. Don't get freaked out. Get checked out. All right. We are back with Dr. Wes Ely. Uh, so, Dr. Wes, uh, we have come up with a little game that we could play. I think this will be a lot of fun. Um, it's called Cold, Cold Heart. Cold, Cold Heart. Okay. okay. I'm game. All right. So, um, Wes, you spend, you know, your career, your job is, you, you, you know, you bring a lot of compassion to healthcare and we all appreciate that. But let's, uh, I want to test this knowledge uh, that you have on um, using uh, fictional characters who are compassion challenged. Okay. <laughs> compassion challenged. So I'm going to read the clues and, uh, and then you're going to try to guess and both of you Wes, you and Kristen will both try to just okay well we could do a competition but uh, you know whoever comes up with the answer first would be great but uh, we can keep a little tally but um, you're gonna have to to guess which compassion challenged character fictional character I am talking about so this could be from I think they're all from movies or TV shows okay okay Kristen's gonna win this I don't know. Oh, we'll see we'll see I haven't okay. watched many they come things. from a, a, a <laughs> wide range of things uh, they're all pretty famous though. All right, here's the first one. First character. Elderly and miserly, he owns most of the businesses in town, including the bank. He is always scheming to force people to lose their homes and rent his rundown properties. Can I guess? Yes. Potterville. Mr. Potter from It's a Wonderful Life. <laughs> right. Oh, yeah. Very oh, good. Mr. Nicely Bo done. What a horrible man. Yes. <laughs> Potterville. Top Top 10, probably most uh, compassion-challenged individual. Maybe your health insurance 
you know, administrator should be Mr. Potter. Maybe, yeah. I, uh, Bartholomew Bank. Oh, no, That's uh, private equity, the, but yeah, yeah, the health I'm, insurance. I'm losing track of all like the, the <laughs> terrible characters that I portray in, in my... Um, okay, here's the next one. She's seeking revenge for her sister's death and doesn't care that it was an accident. She has a distinctive laugh and is obsessed with rubies. This is Cinderella's mom. No? Oh. Ruby Slippers? No. What is Ruby Slippers? Oh, Dorothy. Oh, Dorothy. So so the Wicked Witch? Wicked, Wicked Witch of the West. West. Wicked you Witch got of the it. West. That's good. <laughs> Go, Kristen. Nicely done. Okay, okay. All right. Oh, man, but I mean, clearly... I got PTSD from her. That was the scariest individual yeah. as growing up. That was a scary yeah. one. My yeah. dad says the same thing. Like that movie just terrified him. They couldn't watch it anymore. I remember being scared of the the flying monkeys. Yeah. Like that was always kind of terrifying to me as like a little tiny yeah. kid. But her cat, um, her cackle was not to be messed with. Right. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That was she was serious. Okay. <clears throat> Here's another elderly and miserly fellow. Despite having considerable personal wealth, he lives cheaply and joylessly in the home of his business partner who has passed away. Scrooge. Ebenezer. Yeah, Ebenezer Scrooge. You got it. Okay. All right. Um, she is very fashionable with a one-of-a-kind winter coat at the top of her wish list. She's a little too interested in puppies with spots. 101 Dalmatians. <laughs> yeah, Cruella de Vil. Cruella de Vil. That's right. <laughs> All right. I got a couple more. Um, let's see. Let's go. He compulsively nibbles on his pinky while uh, hatching inept schemes to terrorize and take over the world. Austin. Um, yeah, Dr. Evil. <laughs> Dr. Evil. Evil and Austin. <laughs> <laughs> got it. Okay, I'll let you in on the fact that I, I dressed up like Austin Powers for Halloween. Uh, oh, funny. <laughs> equipped with uh, chest hair, fake chest hair. <laughs> and I went to the urologist and got a penis pump. Oh my god! <laughs> I did not see that coming. <laughs> I love it. Uh, they got those lying around at the urologist's office. Yes, yeah. uh, love it. All right, all right. Here's here's one more. This might be kind of tough. Okay. He's a short man on a tall mission to rid his kingdom of fairy tale creatures. He is looking for a princess to marry so that he can become king, but he's not willing to rescue said princess. Is this Lord Farquaad? Yes. <laughs> you are so you good. You got it. Shrek. <laughs> Lord Farquaad. Wow. Oh, I'm impressed. Well that's done. Funny. I'm I impressed you... too. I wasn't expecting to know any of those. <laughs> you have all the wells of knowledge, Kristen. <laughs> See, Dr. West, I feel like you could teach all of these people a thing or two about compassion. That's uh, what I'm saying. Yeah. I, I, I have my moments of need and and I, I've learned from all of them. So I, I just want to do my... Just keep getting better, Will. I want to keep changing and getting better because I've got a long way to go. Well, I mean, we all we all kind of do, but you know, it's some of the, um, you know, going through our our own you know health issues, we've certainly learned a lot about um, about medicine and humanity. And uh, I, I tell you, just being a patient and being a, a, a co survivor, yeah, and it really does. It just gives you a whole different perspective on the healthcare system, on, on so many things in medicine that we just don't think about. And isn't, isn't it easy, if you kind of view yourself before the events, before the cancer, before the mm -hmm. cardiac arrest, it, it, it's so easy to go through life and not have a connection enough to, to be aware of how personal yeah. this is. 
But I think as all of us go through life, one one factoid for the listeners is that the average American will have one and a half ICU stays in their lifetime. So most people are going to oh, have yeah. an experience like what you went through. And I think that those patients who go through it and then the Christians of the world who have to help lift them up and get them through it, that that's who's going to drive medicine society to do a better job of fixing things. It's just, Kristen, you keep talking about a light. You know, mm-hmm. I, I, my motto is it's better to light a candle than to curse the darkness. Yeah. And uh, maybe there's a way that, you know, your podcast is lighting candles big time. Thank you for doing that. And I uh, hope so. It is. It's yeah. lighting candles and, and we can, we can light these candles to, uh, to do a better job. Yeah, I agree. And I think, you know, so you mentioned I was let into the, the ICU as an end of life case. And, and I, I, well, I wasn't let into ICU. I was let into the hospital, uh, but I was still separated from him. And then um, long story short, but eventually I got kicked out of the hospital and I didn't ever get to see him um, or be with him during his hospital stay. And I just bring that up because there are so many people um, throughout the pandemic that were in the same situation um, and had to say goodbye even to loved ones over FaceTime or not at all. And and so, you know, I would implore all the physicians out there to keep that in mind over these next years, you know, that that's kind of what people are are dealing with and, and recovering from. And hopefully we can all learn from from that experience too and do it better the next time around. We, it was it was wrong. Uh, it was it was anti medicine, but mm-hmm. I was part of it, and we we were scared. Mm-hmm. We didn't have a vaccine. We didn't have PPE, so we were doing the best we could with this dim light that we had. Right. But I agree with what you just said. We doubt. We now know, and we know the PPE works, and we know what we made a mistake of, and we can't do it again. We cannot allow that to happen yeah. again. Yeah. No way. But Kristen, uh, you know, did something very smart, though, despite, I mean, she knew that she wasn't going to be able to, or I don't know if you knew at the time that you wouldn't wouldn't be able to be in the hospital. Yeah, I did. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but she, uh, you know, she sent my phone with me. Uh, Once to, you woke up, yeah. To the hospital. Yeah, she sent my phone in, um, but deleted my social media apps from the phone. And banking and email and yeah. anything he might get himself into See, some trouble. She knew. She knew right <laughs> away. I was like, I was going to start documenting my uh, ICU stay from, from the ICU. That is, and, that is a yeah. genius study because then he's got to remember yeah. his own passwords to get back yes. in. His... That is what my thinking was. Is this a good cognitive test? If he can remember how to download an app, remember the password to log in, then he's fine to use it. That's right. I, I have to assume that was also something that was probably said uh, whenever you, my team did rounds on me. They're like, <laughs> well, I mean, he's tweeting. I, You know, I guess he's fine. Time to go home. <laughs> no, I, there, there's actually a thing called the, the crossed leg sign in the ICU. This is a real thing. If you're, oh, really? if you're, This has actually been studied and published. People have a higher survival rate if they have a crossed leg in the ICU because it means they're sitting there with their legs crossed like, oh, hum-de-dum, it's better. I'm good. It's okay. So oh, you were, I love that. You were exhibiting the crossed leg sign by your tweeting. Oh, yeah. that's great! The cross <laughs> legs. Wow, that's that's, that's such a, a cool thing to like publish about. Yeah, <laughs> you know, there, there's there's all kinds of cool things like that. Like we have a thing called quitters nails. Do you know what that is? No, quitters nails is for the smoker who comes in, has his big heart attack, and quits, and then about two months later, half of his yeah. nail is yellow and the other half is pink. <laughs> so that that line marks his teachable moment. Yeah, oh, I love it. How about that? That's incredible. Like, I bet there's so many little, I don't know, I would think of them as hacks 
like yeah. that for the ICU. Yeah. That's so fun. Little clinical signs. Yeah. Um how how are you how do you um how are you with uh, check-in for contact lenses on oh, all the patients that yeah, come in? That's a big one. I always ask the ICU folks this. We have to check <laughs> for contacts because people can I've had patients in there for days and they'll develop corneal ulcers and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So I always yeah. check Will. I'm in I'm, I, I'm I in. love it. Good. And the lubrication, that was the other thing that I the, reluctantly asked about while you were in the ICU. <laughs> Jeez. She could, she could just knew, uh, yeah, you know, keeping those, keeping those eyeballs lubricated. It's always a good thing whenever mm -hmm. pe people are intubated and sedated. It's a, it's incredible. The, the first fancy word that I learned in the ICU was called chemosis because yeah. the, the sclera gets all edematous and we would just call mm -hmm. it scleral edema, but th that's called chemosis, right? You, you guys are lucky. You've got all these fancy words that nobody else in medicine <laughs> knows. So you come in and you automatically sound smart. Yeah, that's that's right. Yeah, just throw. I just start saying because I mean we're you know we're already nervous to be in the ICU in the first place. We don't like to go there generally as ophthalmologists, and so we just start throwing out fancy words to make us seem like we belong. So that's that's exactly. Yeah, that's the only exactly reason right. he goes to the hospital is to go find the snacks in the physician's lounge. Well, if Will, if you, well, if you just walk in the ICU and start saying things like, "Have you guys checked for Roth spots lately?" Because I, you know, <laughs> you're gonna make everybody you know nervous. Oh, I, you know, right. I could, I could go in and be like, Hey, could, uh, what's winter's formula on this patient? Have you checked that? <laughs> that's still, that's still something I want to do someday and just uh, see what the reaction is. And, <laughs> and they give me an answer that I have no idea what they're talking about. Well, it's true because Kristen, the, some of the stuff that he does on his videos, I'm sitting there thinking, how does he know that? Like, well, oh, I know. How does he possibly know that? Because that was that that was third year stuff and he hadn't done that since. So yeah. It's, it's, it's spent good. a lot of time on social on Google and yeah. <laughs> looking it up. He's faking. <laughs> All right. Well, hey, let's take one more break here and we'll come back and we'll wrap up with Dr. Wes. All right, Dr. Wes Ely. Uh, we are going to uh, finish up here with a, a fan story. So we have our listeners send in their own medical stories. And so this is an anonymous story. It goes... As an MD-PhD student, I had just finished my family medicine rotation that I needed to do during my PhD training. To celebrate, I decided to take six games. Um, I decided to take six games on the weekend, right? Oh, six soccer games, sorry. Uh, over the weekend, right after my shelf exam. I'm a soccer referee. That's okay, it's refereeing soccer games. I was a, I'm a soccer referee, and these games were premier youth and adult games. After refereeing over eight hold on, hours... Hold on, hold on. So this person, this of course is an MD-PhD student, they are celebrating by working. being done with their shelf exam by working, yes. <laughs> right. <laughs> what is wrong with you people? Uh, it's crazy. I know, I know. Like, let's got, find a better way to relax. We got problems. <laughs> All right, he's a soccer referee, uh, and uh, these games were premier youth and adult games. After refereeing for over eight hours, I realized I had a bump on my Achilles tendon. Hmm. On Monday, when I returned to lab limping, I diagnosed myself with Achilles tendonitis. I never had a tendonitis, Achilles tendonitis. After going to the doctor and getting PT, I heard your podcast that chatted about soccer and being old. Oh, funny. That's right, because I just recently I decided to just try my hand at indoor soccer, and it was it's extremely like a, difficult. The old, it's like a, a community league, but yeah. all the old people have found each other and Wait, formed a team. Did you find <laughs> out that you were way more sore the next day than you thought you'd be? Oh yeah, oh yeah, I could like barely move. 
Yeah, it was terrible. Because I remember a few years ago, I, I, I let the residents talk me into playing football with them. And I had a great time. But the next day, I couldn't get out of the bed. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Uh, he says, uh, I am only 27 years old, but I learned that I cannot just do a condensed four-week family medicine rotation, referee six games, and accept, expect to have a functional human body for research with only 24 hours of recovery. Thank you both for reminding me that I am a human, too, as a training physician scientist. Oh, good. Yes. I'm glad we could help. I'm glad I'm just reminding people of their own mortality <laughs> and their difficulty with exercise. It starts <laughs> earlier than you would think, though. You it know, like does. when I was a kid, I envisioned getting old as like at least 40 before you start having any sort of feeling like you're slowing down or anything. And when I was probably about that same age, about 27, I started noticing yeah. like, oh, you know, I'm kind of a little bit sore my ankles when i first get out of bed or you know just little things start and they just never stop and now just keep going now if i turn my head the wrong way my yeah, week is ruined exactly <laughs> that's what's so depressing is you you, you get hurt and you're like i didn't even do anything <laughs> yeah. exactly yes oh, i man. just was sleeping in my own bed and now i can't walk we are turning this into an old person <laughs> podcast here okay. hey but listen kim and i raise a, a boy who has down syndrome and he's He's 58. His name is Greg. And he is teaching me so much about life because he, even though he, you know, he's 58. So it's like a 75 year old because they age mm. prematurely. But he still finds a way, Kristen, to, despite his little quirks and agingness, to just be happy. And yeah. he just, he takes life. The, the beauty of Greg is he accepts life on life's terms, mm. which means if I'm getting older, I'm getting older. It's happening. Let's just accept right. that this is what's happening. That's what Greg is teaching me. That's wonderful. Like you can't fight it. May yeah. as well just enjoy. It. It's very Buddhist, it. right? Of of yeah. uh, what is that principle that the that happiness is just I'm butchering it, but happiness but yeah, it's like it's you stop fighting things, yeah, and then you're happy. That was horrible. That was completely butchered. Somebody please put the real thing in the comments or something. <laughs> well, uh, Dr. Ely, uh, it's been such a pleasure. I want to make sure we, we mention a couple things here. So um, this website, icudelirium.org. Can you tell people about this? Sure. This is a 20-year-old website. There's nothing there to sell you per se payment-wise. This is for you to go and get information about what does it mean to be in the ICU? What does it mean to be a patient and family member? How do I survive after the ICU? And there is just so much information there to help patients and families get through critical illness. And there's a very informative page on long COVID because we are now doing a lot of research in long COVID to help people find answers and to pick up the pieces of their life. Great. That's icudelirium.org. Also, your book, Every Deep Drawn Breath. Thank which you. Which we have right here, and it's uh, just a wonderful book. And all it is, it, it's a book of, of real people, real stories. Uh, everybody in there has vetted their story to be told, but it, it tells, uh, it's about life and people. It's about how do I get yeah. through hard times and, and find meaning on the other side of that. And every penny goes back to COVID survivors and survivors of critical illness. So the, it's a project to build that endowment I spoke about earlier. Yeah. And you have a model for physicians to use in here too, right? The A to F model or, or yeah. a bundle, you call yeah. it. Yeah, the A to F model is basically a, a 400 scientific papers proven way of more safely caring for people. The short of that would be if your loved one is in the ICU, um, go to that website, icudelirium.org and read about the A to F bundle. This is waking people up, getting them out of bed, bringing their family there. And I like to now flip it over and call it the F to A bundle. Because that means we're starting with family. 
Because mm. family is where everything revolves around family. But in the ICU, too often, we find people sedated, immobilized, and without family, and we're fighting that as unsafe. It all boils down to treating people like a human, that, that bundle. Yeah, every deep drawn breath. Um, and uh, also, people can find you uh, on, um, on Twitter, X, on uh, Twitter, I X. I it. still can't, I can't do it. I can't call I, it that. Just Twitter. You know, know what <sighs> I mean, what we're talking about. At uh, Wes Ely, W-E-S-E-L-Y-M-D. Uh, so check that out. And again, Wes, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. It's been my privilege. You guys are amazing, and I'm uh, you're my heroes. Oh, oh, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> All right, we'll see you next time. I feel like we have like a little love-hate relationship with the ICU, don't we? Yeah. In our experience, <laughs> you could say right? that. Yeah, I think that's fair. <laughs> yes. Very appreciative yes. for the work that goes on in there, but you certainly never want to find yourself needing it. But I, it, was, it was fascinating to hear Dr. Ely really talk about the human side of it Yeah. Um, versus the, the straight medicine, because that's that's all my brain you know thinks about. And so yeah. that's what I have learned in our and, experiences, you, you know, you physicians and, and probably nurses and other kinds of clinicians as well. Like that is what you are trained to think and to, you know, from the patient side, it feels like, wait, why is this so dehumanized? You know, this whole healthcare experience in this country. And so I love what he does because that's so in line with, with what I'm trying to do of kind of rehumanizing medicine. Some people are just like meant to be a doctor. (laughs) Yeah. He's just like one of these people. It's like, this is he what, found what he was born calling. to do. Yes, Absolutely. he's very good at it. And, Specifically and in, the, in the ICU, all this stuff. Yeah. Uh, yeah, check out the book, really. Every deep drawn breath. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I think you can tell just from his storytelling. He's a yes, fantastic writer. Absolutely. The book is really interesting. What did you think of the game? Uh, that was fun. I did yeah. better than I thought I was going to do. because was, I was concerned. I didn't see I didn't, TV growing I didn't know, up. <laughs> I didn't know if you guys would pick up any of those. but And then he it came out, you know, you know, with, with yeah, that uh, first Mr. Potter. One. Yeah, Mr. Potter. Which I was like, no one's going to get this. But <laughs> well, anyway, they did. It's a beloved film. Well, let us know what you guys think. Do you have any game ideas? Like, we're always happy to, to hear yeah. those or any other thoughts. You can reach out to us in a lot of different ways. Email us, knockknockhi at human-content.com. We're on all the social media platforms. Uh, you can also hang out with us and our Human Content Podcast family on Instagram and TikTok at Human Content Pods. Thank you to everybody listening. We love that you're here. We love that you're still listening at this point. That's <laughs> always very listening? exciting. Uh, Who's out there? Tell us if you listen all the way to this part. If you are still listening to this point, then you're probably more likely to give wonderful feedback and awesome <laughs> reviews of this podcast. Please do. We love those. It helps other people find the podcast. Absolutely. If you subscribe, and makes us feel real good. Uh, if you subscribe and comment on your favorite podcasting app or on YouTube, we can give you a shout out like um, Sonakshi. Sonakshi on YouTube said, as a med student, I love listening to these convos so much. Thank you. Good. That's very kind. That's what we're going for. That's what we're going for. Hopefully give you a little chuckle too. Uh, full episodes of this podcast are up every week on my YouTube channel at dglockandflecka. I also have a Patreon. Lots of fun perks, bonus episodes, or react to medical shows and movies. Hang out with other members of this community. Uh, we are there. We're active in it. We've uh, got a little town hall every so often. Uh, like uh, like like Pawnee. 
on Parks and Rec. Uh, I think you're Ron Swanson, and I am Leslie Nope. I think so, yes. Um, and Well, I, I think I alternate between Leslie Nope and April. Uh, I like, think if that's they had fair. a love child, that'd be me. I think that's fair. Yeah. Um, who's Jerry? Who's Jerry? Our, <laughs> Rob Goblin. Uh, Rob, Rob <laughs> one of our producers, <laughs> is Jerry from the... They're, we need them to be happy with us. Okay. Uh, anyway, Patreon. Uh, going back. Early ad-free episode access. Interactive Q&A live stream events. And much more. We tend to get a little bit off track this late <laughs> in the day. Patreon.com slash Glockenflecken or go to Glockenflecken.com. Speaking of Patreon community perks, shout out to all the Jonathans as always. Patrick, Lucia C, Sharon S, Omar, Edward K, Stephen G, Rossbox. Jonathan F, Marion W, Mr. Grand Eddie, Caitlin C, Brian L, Dr. J, Chaver W, Jonathan A, Leah D, K L, Rachel L, and Ann P. A virtual head nod to you all. Patreon Roulette, a random shout out to an emergency medicine tier patron. Shout out to Sarah D for being a patron. Thank you, Sarah D. And thank you all for listening. We are your hosts, Will and Kristen Flannery, also known as the Glock and Fleckens. Special thanks to our guest today, Dr. Wes Ely. Our executive producers are Will Fenry, Kristen Flannery, and Corny Gob, Rob, Rob Goldman, and Shanti Brooke. Rob, I don't know why I have any problem with, I have so much problem with your name. Editor, editor and engineer is Jason Portizo. Our music is by Omar Benz V. To learn about a Knock Knock Highs program, disclaimer, ethics policy, but submission, verification, licensing terms, and HIPAA release terms, you can go to glockandflecken.com or reach out to us at knockknockhigh at human-content.com with any burning questions about submission verification terms. <laughs> Concerns about HIPAA release terms or fun medical puns or, about program disclaimer and ethics policy. Or other nicknames for Rob. Yes. Knock Knock High is a human content production. Hey, Kristen, do you know what I love about ophthalmology? Nobody tickles you. <laughs> that, that's really nice. But also eyeballs. Of course. And work-life balance. Yeah, because you have great? Jonathan to help do all your clinical documentation and stuff. I'm also not willing to share my Jonathan, though. Well, no. People ask. That would, that's I too can't. much to that, ask. That's too much. But I need Jonathan because I've got all this other stuff going on, that's right? right? Social media. I've got the podcast, family life. Yeah. Ophthalmology, it's just there's so much to do. But exactly. if you don't have a Jonathan, there's Dax. Yes. Yeah. Nuance Dragon Ambient Experience, or Dax. It helps reduce administrative tasks with clinical documentation that writes itself. 79% of physicians say their work-life balance improved with Dax. That's better than your med school grades. Oh, yep. You may be right there. To learn more about the Nuance Dragon Ambient Experience, or Dax, visit nuance.com slash discover Dax. That's N-U-A-N-C-E dot com slash discover D-A-X.